Welcome to the True North Nutrition Podcast, your personal guide to nutrition, training, and mindset on the journey to transform your body. I'm your host, Joe Paul. Let's get on with the show. All right, today I have a special guest, a probably a different type of guest than I would normally have, but I'm really excited to have her on. She is local to my new, my new local, and uh, I've learned a lot from following her content on social media. She's great. She's entertaining and super, super knowledgeable. Uh, Dr. Bala, welcome to the True North Nutrition Podcast. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. So uh, one of the first things I think would be helpful is just getting to know you a little bit, Dr. Bala, and maybe learning what it what it is that you do. Yeah, so I um, am a licensed naturopathic doctor, and I specialize mostly in women's hormonal health. Um, so I don't do a ton of the things that most women's health providers do. I kind of focus specifically on uh, hormonal regulation and I do so kind of, um, without pharmaceuticals. So I don't use, um, a ton of medications in my practice. Honestly, the most medication that I would use is maybe an antibiotic for UTI or maybe some thyroid medication. I think, um, I've prescribed a very small handful of times. So I like to try to keep things as natural as possible. Um, If we need to use a medication, we do. But otherwise, I really like to focus on nutrition, diet, lifestyle, gut health, um, sleep, stress management, all of those pieces to really regulate your hormones. Because I think it's so underrated that um, most of what we do, um, kind of on a regular daily basis is what is affecting our hormones. And so many people are like, oh, my hormones are off. And it's this huge thing when really it's just these foundational pieces that we're not working on that can actually make such a big difference for things like our periods and our hormones. So I really like to kind of reiterate that for people and really show them what their body is capable of doing on its own. And there was just a slew of beautiful buzzwords in there for me in in my space. I love that so much. And just, uh, you know, really it was all the foundational concepts that you, you covered and also just that capability factor. It's so important. And I would imagine that that probably has a lot to do with how you educate your clients in, in, in progressing, because it's not easy. We call it foundational or basics or simple, but it's not easy to do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I will never say it's easy to do, but it is one of those things that is, it's more on the lower force intervention versus higher force intervention. And I like, I like being able to just kind of go back to the basics of just living versus having to put things in your body that you don't necessarily need. Yes. Awesome. Lots of great stuff there too. Um, Man, I'm, I'm excited. I told you about it before we hit, hit record, but uh, that's fantastic. I love hearing that too, because the more, you know, I, I spoke on it before I work primarily, I work with a lot of female athletes and this is a lot of the stuff that we have to cover. Now, of course, uh, mm-hmm. some of the things that you got, you cover are going to go a little bit deeper. What, what led you to this path of, uh, you know, you, you said naturopath, is there a difference between that and like functional medicine specifically? Yeah. So, um, they're, they're pretty similar. I would say most of the people who are functional medicine providers are generally, um, 
they were trained conventionally and then they've done extra training to do um, to do the functional medicine side of things, whereas a naturopathic doctor kind of had both integrated into the curriculum. So we learned conventional alongside integrative therapies. And so I, I, I mean, I can't, I can only speak to my side of things because I didn't do it the other way, but I personally really loved doing it that way because I could see, okay, well, here's this condition, here's this um, diagnosis that we're getting and how is it treated conventionally? What are all the things that we can do for it instead? So I felt like I really got to have a an immersive experience with the curriculum as far as these are all the diseases that we're seeing. What can we do? What's the whole spectrum of things we can do versus just learning really deep dive into um, pharmaceuticals. We got to do pharmaceuticals and what um, dietary uh, nutritional pieces are we not looking at? How does exercise influence that? What do, uh, what do we have for herbs? What do we have for um, just like basic lifestyle changes? How is sleep affecting that? All of these other things that I think were really cool. So um, basically, yeah, most of the time, uh, functional medicine providers have a conventional background first, and then they go um, and take courses afterwards, whereas we kind of had it integrated into our curriculum from the beginning. And there are also a couple of um, naturopathic doctors who also do functional medicine training. So then they just have both views of it. Cool. Yeah. I think that's super helpful for people to understand too, is because, you know, a lot of times it's funny because you can, you can Google whatever sort of help you want. And honestly, a lot, a lot is coming from social media and it's really powerful to see, uh, you know, a, a care provider such as yourself out there educating in that way, because it's just how so many people learn these days, Holy. which, you know, for better or for worse, at least you're putting out that quality content. So, um, yeah. So what inspired you to, to take this path? Um, uh, a lot of different things, actually. I kind of grew up um, more on the holistic, natural side of things. My mom always, you know, really pushed that for us. She hardly liked to use any medications, which is interesting because she was a nurse. And so she was kind of already in that world, but she she didn't like that world for herself. Um, and I was diagnosed with IBD when I was really young, I was 13 years old and they were trying to put me on a ton of really harsh medications and I just felt awful. And so at that point we, um, well, my mom kind of was doing all these natural things and trying to, to keep my, my autoimmune issues at bay. And it worked really well as far as changing diet, adding in some herbs and you know, I was diagnosed when I was 13 and I have, so I haven't had any flares since that first diagnosis happened. And that was quite a long time ago. And so I've been very fortunate to kind of learn my body, know what works and what doesn't. Um, And then when I was in college, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and she wasn't given a great prognosis. And she decided to do um, kind of the natural route. She went to India and did, um, did some naturopathic things and came back a year later and was completely in remission. And that was I was in 2009 or 2010. And so she was, she was in remission for a really long time. So that was really great. And so that kind of pushed me more into, okay, well, there is definitely more to healthcare than just going to the doctor and, you know, hearing what they have to say about chemotherapy or this drug or that drug. And I was like, well, I really want to explore the other side of things because watching her have that hope that, oh, there are other things out there that won't necessarily go against what I believe, you know, cause I think a lot of people want something different. They just don't know where to go for it. And so 
that really spoke to me as far as um, I, I wanted to be able to give that to other people. I wanted to be able, like, here's the alternative if you don't want the convention. Why do you think more people are turning to that now? I feel like there's more, or I should say, I think there's more of a trend. Yeah, it's hard to say if it is really more of a trend or if there's just more um, media coverage because social media and, you know, all of that has kind of erupted in the past decade or so. And so now we're just so much more aware of everything because our lives live on kind of the internet. So I don't know. It's hard to say if like this was always there, it just wasn't able to go as far. And now we're able to have more of a reach. And so more people are like, wait, that's what I wanted all along. They just, it was just word of mouth before, whereas now it's like, no, you can reach so many more people. So I, that's my theory, but you know, obviously I don't research anything about yeah. anthropology or anything. Yeah. So, I find, yeah. yeah. so um, another thought that I, that I had too was, so your mom went to India. First of all, that's fantastic. And I hope she's doing well. She, she went into remission following that year in India. Did she share with you or would you be able to share with us anything that was different? Cause it sounded like she was already into the nutrition and some of those lifestyle habits. Mm-hmm. Was there something that helped really uh, get those things moving along? Because as you know, or I have seen, and as I have experienced too, is sometimes there's that one, you know, I call it a key log. I've heard it before where it's like, it stops the flow of all the logs going down river and you remove it or, or move it or shift it. And then all of a sudden the river starts flowing again. Mm-hmm. We call that in naturopathic medicine, we call that the obstacle to cure. There's that one cure. thing that, you know, once you figure that out, you kind of, again, that log in the river, same, same kind of concept. Right. Um, yeah, I personally, I don't know if she'll agree with this, but I personally think she had a huge shift in her entire environment. Like she quit her job. She was working as a nurse and she was working like um, multiple 12 hour shifts. She was really stressed. She didn't like her job. There was like a dissonance there in that she didn't believe in what she was doing, but she would go every day and do that. And so I think just the shift in her entire environment, um, just kind of dropped her stress levels to a much lower level and she was more in congruence with what she believed in what she wanted to do she was doing like sunbathing every day getting oil massages like eating really healthy and doing meditations and yoga like that was what her day consisted of because she was at this treatment center and so um I don't necessarily think it was anything really drastic I really think it was just self-care and stress management which was great you know yeah that's amazing because I mean I I think it still speaks to like obstacle to the cure where it's like okay sounds like it was kind of keying in on stress uh mostly but that's such a, a vast and broad topic but it's still amazing to see and I could hear the, you know, hear like the smile in your, in your voice as you're talking about her getting these oil massages or, you know, sunbathing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I, I, I sometimes think it's funny too, as you know, an entrepreneur and I'm working at home and really have, you know, my schedule to myself, but I spend my time with this sort of odd, but very particular uh, self-care routine. And it includes Mm -hmm. that, that 
sunbathing specifically or you know breath work or whatever i can to manage those states that nervous system state absolutely so now you have this experience not only for yourself in preventing these autoimmune flares and and also your mom now Mm -hmm. what are you seeing a lot with stress now because i feel like at least in my space and maybe you have a similar experience is that we actually don't understand what stress means to the body. So I'd be curious how you help your clients understand what stress is. I, so the way that I like to think about stress is just, it is a really big inflammatory piece. Stress is kind of, if you look at the research, stress is kind of the basis of so many chronic illnesses, almost all chronic illness. And I, you know, it comes from inflammatory levels. It comes from, and it causes so many downstream effects on your hormones, on your cardiovascular effect, on your um, mental health, which affects other things. And there's on your blood sugar, like there's just so many different effects that stress has. And I think um, the, the best way that I can explain it is that your body evolved, not necessarily knowing that your deadline at work versus running from a bear is any different. So if you're stressed out by that deadline that you have at work or family drama, friend drama, whatever, things are stressing you out, that still looks the same as if you were being chased by a bear. And so your body reacts in the exact same way. And while you may actually be safe, you have a place to live, you have people who love you, you have food on the table every day, you have a job and you have financial security, your brain still doesn't know that the stress that you're feeling is different from you being in danger. And so you're still going to be in that chronic state of sympathetic nervous system where all of your blood blood flow is shunted from your, um, from your gut and these other organs to your muscles and your brain. And when you're constantly living in that state, it's going to take a toll on your body, whether that's your hormones, whether that's your blood sugar, whether that's your heart, whether that's your kidneys, whatever your liver, like there's so many different things that it affects. So that's kind of my long-winded way of describing that stress affects so many things and your brain doesn't necessarily know how to differentiate between, um, true danger and this made up not necessarily made up, but kind of like your perception of danger. No, I, I love that and call it long winded, but I think the key, like some of the keys in there are, uh, you know, not being able to distinguish that, that stress, your body doesn't distinguish it, no matter how you compartmentalize it. Mm-hmm. And then the other part that I really love that you brought up was the blood flow and how, like shunting it from, you know, the gut and into the muscles and brain, mm-hmm. which not only does that speak to the dangers and like cautions we have to, to observe with stress, but also that it's like you said, it's, it's not a good state to be in all the time. And it is required some of the time. Like we know that exercise is using the sympathetic nervous system Mm -hmm. and it is pushing blood flow to the brain muscles. So Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's an example. Like, do you ever use the words like good stress, bad stress? I feel yeah. like it's, it falls into that like morality of food thing too. <laughs> so Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, so I love that example. It's just like the, the differentiation of blood flow. Uh, one of the things that you brought up was specifically inflammation, which I think is a good, 
understanding of physical manifestation of stress in the body. And you talked about a few different examples. Do you have some go-tos of gauging inflammation for your clients? Um, it kind of depends because what I work on primarily is hormonal issues. That's generally where it ends up showing up for my patients. Um, so the way they present to me is, um, generally most of the time gut issues and hormonal issues. So period pain is a big one, heavy bleeding, irregular periods, um, infertility or, um, what else do we see? A lot of gut issues like constipation and or diarrhea, bloating, gas, um, irregular stools, or you have a lot of heartburn, acid reflux, any of these type of symptoms. I usually say, okay, well, there's inflammation going on somewhere because your, your IL-6s are elevated when you're chronically stressed. That's increasing your prostaglandins. Like all of that is contributing to period issues. All of that is contributing to gut issues. All of that is contributing to probably most of the symptoms that you're experiencing. Um, I always, always, always like to start with stress management because that's kind of the biggest thing. One, that most people don't do on a regular basis. And two, the thing that if we can just stop, breathe, calm down um, and get more into that parasympathetic nervous system for more of the day than we're in sympathetic nervous system, that in and of itself is helpful because you just feel a little bit more clear. You're not getting that tunnel vision that you get when you're feeling stressed, you're, you're able to kind of zoom out and see your world and see your environment as a whole. And just, just that different view can be helpful. For sure. I, I really like that. So basically when we talk about inflammation is you're noticing, I mean, people are coming in, your ladies are coming in and it's just very clear inflammation is at play in all of these like many different aspects. And then from there, you sort of work backwards into hey, maybe it's more liver specific function of, um, you know, filtering and directing the, the response in the body or the gut. Uh, so mm -hmm. you can, you kind of work backwards from there. Does that sound? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And when you talk about stress management and that usually being one of the first topics, because I, I mean, I agree in, in what I've seen and for most people is educating them on what stress is because again, not knowing where you came from, and maybe you can speak on this, is a lot of people compartmentalize stress from anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that's where the education point of the nervous system really helps because they're both stress. Mm -hmm. And when I'm having my clients check in on that weekly, they're like, oh, I didn't know you meant anxiety. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's a big deal. Like those are, those are things that are going to definitely be uh, sympathetic nervous system. So absolutely. So when you talk about these like low hanging fruit for stress management, what are some of your go-tos? Yeah. So I am a huge proponent of paced breathing. I love it. It's worked for me personally. It works for, I would say 90 plus percent of my patients enjoy doing the paced breathing. Um, they notice that they're sleeping better at night. They're able to fall asleep easier. They have more energy they feel a little bit less stressed. They feel like they're less um, kind of like on the trigger. So like they feel just a little bit more calm, like that one little thing isn't going to set them off. Um, and so paced breathing, I like to just do the simple, the basic five, five. So five seconds in, five seconds out. 
Um, or the four eight is always nice too, or four six. However, there's there's a few different ways. I just like for people who are new to paste breathing, a lot of people are like, oh, I do boxed breathing. I don't know that that helps a ton. Um, and sometimes that holding of the breath is actually more, um, not the, the best way to start if you're new to breathing. Cause I find that the holding of the breath kind of activates that sympathetic nervous system a little bit more. And if you're not used to it, or there's, there's so many different ways of doing breathing. And so I like to just start as easy as possible with five seconds in, five seconds out. It's easy to kind of count and not get confused. Um, or you can do a four, six where you're exhaling longer than you're inhaling. And that also a longer exhale is generally what triggers that vagus nerve activation that gets you into that parasympathetic um, state as well. So either of those is usually what I like to recommend. And my favorite recommendation is to do it at transition points of your day. So what that means is a lot of people feel particularly stressed right before they go to work because I know a lot of people just don't like their job or they feel stressed by their jobs and they're like, oh, going to work just gets me really tense and they start to feel anxious as soon as they wake up. And so I always say, do it for 10 minutes before you go into work. Um, well, if you have to sit in your car before you enter your work building, that's fine. If it's a Zoom thing, then do it before you log on. Um, before you start your day, because that helps set your nervous system into that parasympathetic before you're going to go into this quote unquote stressful event that you're doing. And so you're just kind of reorienting to that stress instead of it being stressful, you're entering into a more, um, you're entering into that with a more, in a more parasympathetic state. So your mind isn't associating it with stress. Um, or doing it at the transition at the end of your day. Some people have a really hard time. They're like, go, go, go all day. They're really stressed out at work. And then they come home and they feel stressed and they can't wind down and they're really anxious too. And so if that's you, then I would say do it at the end of your day when you're transitioning between work and home life so that you feel just a little bit more relaxed when you're going home to your family. Um, or just even if you're just going home by yourself, it's still, you actually take that time to relax and feel more grounded when you're at home versus feeling and bringing the stress of the day with you home. So those two times of the day are ones that I really like to say, and then right before you go to bed, make it the last thing you do so that you are going into to sleep more in a parasympathetic state versus you have all these ruminating thoughts and you're just worried and you're falling asleep with all of this, this, um, this anxiety before you go to sleep. And then you end up having stressful dreams. You're not getting that quality REM sleep. You're waking up with really high cortisol and you feel stressed out. And so if we can just kind of go to bed also in that more parasympathetic state, then that's, I, I find it's really helpful for myself and I find my patients find that to be really helpful as well. Yeah. I love, I love that, that the transitions is huge because it can really go, if you think about them in just those three scenarios, right before work, after work and before bed is if before you were stressed going to work and then at work and then at work and then coming home and then before bed. If you change half of those to parasympathetic by changing your state, and then you can also make them more parasympathetic while you're there. I mean, it's like, it's, it's a whole revolution. It's a, it's a total 180 from that completely stressed out state. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I heard you saying like 10 minutes, if, if someone's like, it, it, the listener to this podcast and they're saying, wow, so I have to do this like 30 minutes a day, 10 minutes at each of them. Or are you telling them like, Hey, at least three minutes, five. what's, what's your instruction? Like um, yeah. So the research particularly for stress and anxiety is 10 minutes twice a day. 
Um, so that's generally what I recommend to patients. If you can go for 20 minutes at a time, that's even more preferred because it's hard to be stressed for 20 minutes when you're breathing that deeply. So like almost always at that, like eight minute, nine minute mark, you'll start to kind of loosen up. And then you have that extra 10 minutes of just breathing like that. And just kind of feeling comfortable in your body and your environment and where you're at. So you're, and the more often we do it throughout the day too, the more plastic it becomes in our brain. So your brain, you know, the more it's just like anything that you practice, the more often you do something, the more you get better at it. It's like working out. You can't just work out once and call it good and expect to see changes. You have to kind of do it every day and more than the more you do it, the more you're going to see those changes. And, um, so I like to say, do it as often as you can. If you need to do it in your transition points and also there's other moments in the day where you feel stressful, do it more then too. It doesn't have to be for 10 minutes every time. You can do it for like two to three minutes just to kind of get back into your regular breath. Um, but I would say, I mean, ideally we're breathing like that all day long and we never get out of that breath, but obviously that's not realistic. So the more often you can do it, the better. Now, I, I, I love that too. And just uh, hey, can we go two to three minutes here? Because there's going to be, I want to ask you a question on this before I go into, but you know, we have busy moms, right? It's, it's a, it's a big thing. And anyone who's out there, right? Like this doesn't have to just be moms, but of course we know that either whether you're staying at home with your kids or working and taking care of kids that it seems like you can't get that break. That's usually the first response is, how am I supposed to do this while taking care of all of this? What's your education point like on that? To be honest, I haven't had any of my patients tell me that they've never, they don't have that time. That has never been something that's come up. But I would say, you know, if, if you're, if you don't even have 10 minutes for yourself in a day, then then that's where I would start is saying, okay, well, how can you get those 10 minutes? You know, what do you need to do to get 10 minutes for yourself? Do you need to ask somebody for help? Do you need to, you know, ask your partner for help, ask your neighbor for help, ask a friend for help? Do you need to, you know, how much time are you spending on social media? Because I can assure you there is no one out there that isn't spending at least 10 minutes a day on social media. And so if you need to give up 10 minutes of social media scrolling, to take care of your mental health so that you can be better, I think that would be worth it. So, you know, I think it's all about like, where are you spending your time? If you really truly do not even have 10 minutes a day to yourself, then I think that's where you need to start is seeing, okay, well, how am I spending my hours? Where is my time actually going? And it's for some moms, you know, if your kids are a little bit older, I would say, um, ask them for that time if they're if they're old enough to understand that and there are things that you can do to really sit down and be like okay well how am I spending my time I there's a quote I cannot I can never remember who says it but um it's it goes show me your calendar and I'll show you what you prioritize and so I really like I like that because you can really tell you know by what someone's doing when someone tells me they don't have time to me, that just means it's not a priority. Yes. Yes. I love that. And I, that, I feel like that quote, whoever says it or however it's used goes so many ways, but I, I really love how two, two parts of that approach that you shared. And that was one is asking questions. 
you know, like, how can you, you know, how can we make this work? And the second is show me, right? Because I mean, that that's at the end of the day, what people need from, uh, you know, a client to you know, naturopath relationship, they need that, that sort of accountability. And, uh, you know, I find the same within my work is mm -hmm. just, Hey, we, we've just got to take a step back here and first get that 10 minutes, uh, because it is there. Mm -hmm. I love that. So question then I, I'm reading the book breath by James Nestor which I literally just read the the piece where he's talking about uh, all of these basically historical examples of five and a half breaths for a minute and it speaks to the pace breathing you said before five five or four six it's right in that realm is mm -hmm. that have you read the book I haven't no okay so um it's, it's good. I, I like it a lot. He talks about uh, different types of obviously like breathing, but the experiments that they do within it and also the historical events. It's pretty awesome. awesome. But yeah, that sounds great. I know so my husband will definitely be interested in that. I'll have to tell him about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, where that leads me to my next question then is where did that come into play for you? Like where did your, was there a certain, you know, method that was prescribed to you or someone shared to you that made it you know that important um you know I think I want to say it was probably my husband that that made me get yeah. into it because I was at a point where I was just so stressed out and I was like okay I it was right after I graduated med school and you know that post-grad is always such a fun awkward weird time in life and so like the second round of teenager years. yeah exactly it's like what am I doing with my life what am I supposed to be like where am I supposed to be I'm an adult but I was just in school for the past like 30 years of my life <laughs> yeah. yes um yes. it's like crawling out of a rock and like seeing the light of day for the first time and it felt so weird and it was just like a huge I, I was just under a lot of stress and had a lot of anxiety and um my husband's really into all of this. He, um, he does functional neurology. So breathing and brain and neurology, like all of that is, is his forte. And he's super big into like exercise physiology and cardio and breathing and training for that. And so he's always looking into all those things. And he was like, you really need to do pace breathing. You should really, do pace breathing. <laughs> you should really consider your HRV. And so I think it started with that. Like I would check my HRV and then I would, um, I would do paced breathing. And I think I can't remember. I feel like I started out doing four, six breathing, which eventually evolved to five, five. I kind of just do what feels good in my body. There are some days when I'm like, I'm having a harder time doing longer exhales or longer inhales. And so I just kind of match it based on what I'm feeling at this point. But I think when I started, I think I started with four, six. Yeah, I think that's a, an important takeaway for people. The way that I like to introduce it to people as well, to you know, anyone who is interested in this, in this breathing, which really, whether or not you're interested in it, you should try it because self-care like this isn't always something that you're just like, oh, I can't wait to get up in the morning and breathe, right? But <laughs> yeah. uh, it is something that you do notice the results from. You, you notice totally. the change. And I so, think for me, what helped was having, because I we had a heart rate monitor, we had an app that measures your HRV. And I think yeah. having objective 
measures to be like, okay, where's my HRV? Is it better than yesterday? You know, like just that little, like small competition with yourself <laughs> and that is, is helpful. Cause like, I get excited. I would get excited in the morning to be like, okay, well, like, how did I sleep? What's my HRV? Like, how can I work out today? Um, like do it, does it need to be like a lighter day or like, can I go harder? You know, like just that little piece, I think, um, I, I, I'm not as consistent with it anymore. I'm not going to lie. But in the beginning when I was doing it, it was just a little bit more like exciting to wake up and, and, and have that objective measure to see how I did. And I think sometimes that can be motivating for people as well. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, I like it. It's gamifying it. Right. Uh, so I was going to ask this too, is you, you said like you had the certain heart rate monitor and heart rate variability. What were you using to measure those things? Um, just like one of those polar heart rate monitors and then the app that he used. So he read this book by Kenneth J. I, I think it's called the cardio code. And, um, so it was his app that he recommended called iFleet. Um, I think it's like seven bucks for the app and you just have it and it will, you just sit there for, you try to do it first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up before, you know, you have too many things that are influencing your cortisol and your HRV, like, you know, getting up and walking around, brushing your teeth, all that. So try to do it first thing in the morning. And, um, and yeah, so you, you just put on your heart rate monitor. We kept it on our nightstand and open the app and sit up and breathe for, I think it takes like three minutes, um, before it gives you like a, a result of where you're at. There's like green, yellow, red. And so based on that, we'd kind of know, and it's, it's interesting. He still does it. My husband still does it. And he's like, Oh, you know, I felt like I slept really well. I feel good when I wake up in the morning and then he'll have like a lower HRV. And, and then like, by the end of the day, he's like, Oh, I'm feeling that low HRV. I get it now. So yeah. it's interesting to kind of see the objective measure, even though he'll be like, no, I feel good in the morning. And then by the end of the day, he's like, Oh, I understand why my HRV was so low. Like I I'm feeling that now. So it's kind of cool to, to play around with that and see. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like when I have people say like, Oh yeah, I sleep like five hours a night and it's, it's great. And I'm like, mm -hmm. you, you have like a memory of like five nights that went really, really well after five <laughs> hours of sleep. Yeah. And there's no way you're enjoying that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. Or like their cortisol is just like super high and they're just, it's keeping them going, which at some point they're going to crash. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, the, so do you know what a whoop is? A whoop band? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why I was curious. That's why I was asking what you use because it, it sounded like it was something different, but I've had, uh, I've had some mixed experiences with the whoop band of where yeah. it's like great data, like the HRV. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes people just get discouraged because they, they can't figure out the recovery, you know, uh, algorithm or whatever. And it's like, right. you know, yeah, you gotta chill out. <laughs> yeah, no, my husband has this extensive bedtime routine that he does now. And he's noticed if he doesn't do it, he doesn't sleep as well as HRV isn't as good. Another thing we've noticed is fried food and alcohol. So on Friday night, date night, we have, you know, fried food and alcohol. He's going to have, he knows for sure he will have a lower HRV in the morning and every single time without fail, his HRV will be lower. Right. And that's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, like I try to share these like extremely human moments like date night or when you just have a freaking craving where you just gotta have the food and mm -hmm. you enjoy it and it doesn't you know like turn your eyes red or anything like that mm -hmm. but it's just like accepting that you know what cool I didn't exactly. have the HRV but I knew at least that it was going to happen because right. I know my body 
Exactly. We can't, you know, live in perfection all the time. And it's like, you know what, the drink that I had and the time that I spent with my family was better than having a perfect HRV the next day. And I don't have a ton going on the next day. So it's okay. Right. Right. So I, I think that's just so valuable for people to take away and to hear from you on that, just to, that sort of validation, be like, oh, okay. Um, you know, I think the the big takeaway from, from this too, even like a general takeaway is that like, you've got to start paying attention because you can, it's one thing to just say, oh, it sounds like they're talking about, cool, you can have a date night and do whatever you want for a night. It's like, well, the first step to that is building awareness around every day of your life, mm-hmm. which it does take time. It takes investment. But on the back end of that, you, you have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen and how you're going to feel through many different situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think people have a much better idea of stress management, getting awareness, and, and even some of the tools that they can use there and the accessibility of just pace breathing. I love that. So simple, uh, but effective. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that we had chatted about and I would love to help help my audience learn a little bit more from you on the side of hormonal birth control, because I know it's education that you put out there. So I'd love to hear you know some of your general thoughts on it and, and kind of what you're seeing to, to help, help the ladies out there understand best what's happening with when they're taking hormonal birth control, when they get off of it and those sorts of things. Yeah, so... Um... I, I mean, I want to preface it by saying like birth control is totally a choice and I'm not here to tell you whether you should or shouldn't be on birth control at all. I know I get a lot of shit from some people like messaging me and being like, I can't believe you're policing my body. And I'm like, I have not made any statements on what you should be doing with your body. If you choose to do birth control, because that's what works for you, that is absolutely your choice. Um, I'm just here to educate people on, you know, first of all, there are other alternatives. I think a large majority of women go on birth control at a very young age for hormonal issues. So I, my goal is to educate you that hormonal birth control isn't the solution for it. It may be making things worse. And also there are so many other things that we can do to regulate your hormones. So that's kind of where I'm coming from when I talk about birth control. Um, I don't, I'm not demonizing birth control as in like, it's like the devil, you shouldn't be taking birth control. Cause I know for some people that's what works for them. They want symptomatic control. They're not looking to figure out the root cause. And they're like, this works for me right now. And I don't want to get pregnant and that's great. Um, but for the people who probably went on birth control very reluctantly, because that was the only solution offered to them. I like to say, always look into what's going on with your hormones before you decide to go on birth control, because nine times out of 10, there is an underlying cause for why you're having those hormonal issues and birth control will just cover up those issues for the time that you're on it. And sometimes those issues just fester under the surface because they weren't getting attention. And then you get off of birth control and things get worse. There's a nice three month grace period if you do have some hormonal issues before things start to catch up. And so that's, um, that's also why they say, oh, hormonal birth control can make you more fertile. If you've had, if you've had hormonal issues in the past, Um, that three months after you get off is kind of that time that it takes for your natural hormones to kind of get back into effect. And if you had those issues, 
um, maybe with androgens or estrogen, they start to slowly creep back up. So you have this little grace window where your hormones are still like not figuring out what's going on. And so you are a little bit more fertile and that's where that comes from. Um, I feel like I'm kind of getting off on a tangent here. Oh, <laughs> no, I, I think that's one, it's fantastic information because it, it paints a really good picture because I, I feel like, again, I'm in the very much same you know, court and belief as you is that I'm here to educate, right? I'm not, I'm not the birth control police by any means. I'm just here to make sure that you know what choices that you're making with your body. And um, it's like you said, how, however you choose to execute is up to you. The one thing that you said in there was, would you be able to explain that, that 90 day period, kind of like what's happening? Because, uh, you know, I've read and researched it a little bit, but basically like uh, the, the way that I had learned it was, you know, basically taking a hundred days for those hormones to reset. But, you know, in my space where it's primarily fat loss is that sometimes we don't see fat loss hap happen very effectively in those hundred days following hormonal birth control or removal of it, because the hormones just, like you said, they don't really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So um, I would love to hear any, anything you have to add to just explaining that period a little bit. Yeah. So that in particular, what I was thinking of is mostly PCOS. That's where I see it the most often is women who have PCOS, who either knew it and got on birth control or may not have known that they had PCOS and got on birth control. When they get off of birth control, they have that little like few month window where, um, because birth control was suppressing all of your natural hormones and it also keeps your androgens at bay. And the biggest issue with PCOS is you have really elevated androgens, which is causing you to have irregular periods by not ovulating. Um, either your DHEA or testosterone is elevated and that suppresses ovulation. And so for that DHEA and testosterone to creep back, it takes a little bit of time. It takes some time for your um, brain and your ovaries to have that communication again and get your cycle back in track. And so there, you know, that could be due to liver metabolism. It could be due to gut. It could be due to stress. It could be due to just how, also how long you were on birth control. If you were only on it for like a year or two and getting off of it, you may notice that things go back to where they were much quicker. If you were on it for decades, as I have some patients who were, it may, sometimes it never comes back when you get off of your, uh, sometimes your period never comes back when you get off of birth control, um, or they have really bad issues getting off of it. So, so there's so many different factors, but it's basically just that communication, that HPO axis, your, um, hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, that there is that disconnect because birth control shuts off that connection. And so getting that connection back kind of takes a minute. And so that's what we're seeing, um, um, happen with, with a lot of, women who get off of the birth control is that communication is slowly getting connected again. Right. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it, it's been so interesting to learn more and more about that and just sort of the effects of basically like not only hormonal balance, but sort of the, the, I don't want to say speed, I guess the functionality of, of them as far as, you know, especially coming off of, you know, hormonal birth control is, just getting that understanding of your body. And so I would imagine that, and when I start with clients, right. And they're not used to tracking macros or, you know, looking at their nutrition, it's like, it's going to be hard for four weeks, but it's going to be a lot harder for, you know, the next 40 years. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't buy into these four weeks, like if you half ass it, 
Mm-hmm. It, it, you just keep drawing out the inevitable or the, or that 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 pain and that frustration. Right. Do you, exactly. do you feel yourself saying or sharing the same thing in, in this regard? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to just educate people. I like you to know what's going on in your body, whether you follow a specific thing or not, whether you um, continue to do that or live that way is is it's your choice, but I want you to at least know what is affecting you. And I think that's where a lot of my patients learn so much about their bodies. They're like, Oh, I didn't realize how, when I eat this way, my periods are normal. Or when I, um, practice my bedtime routine more consistently, my stress levels are better and my periods are better. Or when I'm, um, you know, working on mental health or when I'm working on my gut health or whatever it is for them that they needed to do the most, they realize like, oh, this is really affecting me. And sometimes they're like, well, it's really hard for me right now. I'm just not in the space to do that. I'm not going to. And they're like, I know it's because of what I did. As long as you have that awareness, I'm just really a big proponent of, of, making choices on purpose, not living as a victim of your choices. Cause I think a lot of people are like, well, my hormones are off. So that's why I'm, I, you know, gained weight and I have this issue or that issue. And it's like, well, yes, your hormones are off, but also there's stuff you can do about it. It's not just, I have to live this way. And I think knowing that and, and getting more in tune with your body and understanding your body and educating yourself about what you're putting into your body and how that's affecting you is just so important. Do you think that the, I would say that like the pace of, of society or, or people in general is that they expect more light switches, right? Turn on, turn off. Like as soon as I change this, it's it's Mm going to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the education, the responsibility for not only us to educate in, mm-hmm. in our respective groups, but for people to educate themselves is that it's just not, it's something you have to continuously maintain. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even just getting there in general, I think a lot of people think that it's this easy thing or even like with natural medicine, I get a lot of people that are like, what's a natural alternative to this medication? And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) I really wish it did, but like, I can't just swap out your metformin for an herb. I can't just swap out your antidepressants for an herb that helps with anxiety. Like it doesn't work that way. Um, And I think just knowing that it does take effort to take care of your health and be healthy. Like those influencers that you see on Instagram or wherever, like they didn't look that way. I mean, I don't know. Plastic surgery, I'm sure is a huge industry, (laughs) but for the most part, you know, like the, the person that you idolize, like they work really hard, probably, I hope at taking care of their health and maintaining, um, a certain, body or they take care of their health to, to make sure that they're sleeping well and eating well and, and exercising and doing all these things that I think we just, we look, we look at the future, but we don't look at what we're doing in the present. We're like, Oh, I want that, but I'm not going to change my habits today to get there. Yeah. I, it's funny. I I had some notes on that too, or you just have like, it goes back to the social media conversation we had before. It's like, if you only, if you only look through news feeds and you're only scrolling, of course, you're going to see beautiful bodies and they're doing things. They're, they're drinking or eating donuts or pizza or whatever. You absolutely have to read between the lines and also understand that 
some of that shit is just fake it's oh absolutely yeah that is a whole i feel like that's a whole other episode i can Uh, talk about about how you're like the per the pictures are edited they're probably getting botox they're probably getting liposuction and that's just not attainable and it's also you know skewing your view of of yourself and making you think that one you might need that or two that that's attainable when it's not but at the same time there are also you know ways you can take care of your body in natural ways as far as diet lifestyle stress management all of these other pieces as well for sure. And that's, uh, that's one piece I would love to, to touch on now too, is uh, we didn't talk a whole lot about nutrition yet, but I, I heard some, I heard you planting some really good stuff out there that I want to touch on. So, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a vast world of nutrition mm-hmm. and you talk about gut health and it's touched on a little bit in terms of like liver. What are some of the places you're starting with nutrition to uh, help your clients? Yeah. So I usually will ask in a lot of detail about what their poop habits look like, what gut health in general looks like, what kind of symptoms they're having, how are they eating? When are they eating? What are they eating? Um, And so we go into a lot of detail about all that. And there's not one, I guess there is one thing I I think is common among many of my Um, So are you, you, you cut out just for a second there. You said what, what's common amongst your clients? Oh, the one thing that I would say is common amongst um, many of my patients would probably be dairy. Um, That's kind of the one thing I, I do say, let's test that out because especially for, like I said, I see a lot of women with hormonal issues. That's my main um, kind of thing that I work on. And so with hormonal issues, dairy can just be inflammatory for so many people. And I would say nine out of 10 women will notice a benefit from cutting out dairy. There's always that one that's like, I don't know, I didn't see anything. And at that point it's like, great, it doesn't affect you as much. Um, But for most people, I see that dairy is kind of the biggest thing. So that's usually where I start. And then there's so many other factors. It just depends on what they have going on. Again, stress management is always a huge thing that also helps. I find that the breathing throughout the day, um, a lot of women say they're like, yeah, I eat because I feel like I have to, not necessarily because I'm hungry. Like they don't feel hunger before they eat. And the breathing is so helpful for that because if you're not getting blood flow to your gut, you're not getting all that stomach acid. You're not getting those digestive enzymes. You're not getting hunger cues because your body isn't focused on digestion right now. It's like, no, 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 we got to run from that bear. So of course you're not going to feel hungry. So stress management, again, is a huge piece of gut health. And that in and of itself can be something that makes a big difference. Their digestion improves, their gas and bloating will improve. Um, There's also herbs that I like to use to help with that. Um, Depending if they have a dysbiosis, um, some of them do have candida issues. Some of them have um, issues with SIBO or they have issues with um, some other gut infections. And at that point we would use some herbs to kind of help with that. Probiotics can be really helpful. Um, I generally with nutrition though, on the first visit, always start with dairy, if that seems to be an issue, um, and then increasing their veggie intake for the most part, most people are not getting the adequate amount of fiber in a day. And so just adding veggies with every meal can be that one small thing 
that makes such a big difference for their gut health. And, and often we don't need to make super drastic improvements. I'm never like, okay, you got to only eat this many calories. This is all you can have. You're going to be monitoring this and tracking this and keeping a lot. Like it's not super, I don't like to make it super stressful. So I like to start very simple and just say, okay, we're cutting out this one thing and then we're going to add more water. We're going to add more veggies. We're going to add this or that or whatever. And that's kind of where I like to start. And then we kind of troubleshoot as we go, what worked well, what didn't work well, what were you able to, to be consistent with, what wasn't consistent, what do we need to change, did anything new come up, all of that. For sure. That's, that's exactly where I was heading was just also helping out, you know, helping the audience understand here, like the line in the sand between adding good habits and the original elimination of other foods or restricting because you know, I, in my experience is that we tried to only, only take on this mindset. And when I say we, anyone who's out there affecting nutrition for clients, patients, anyone in saying, add good habits, like add veggies, perfect example, right? Add water, add, add these things. There is a point, right? Where you have to remove certain things where you can only add so much and now we're talking about like, okay, this restriction piece, like you had to know, like you, you have to know it's coming because mm -hmm. th there is an obstacle to the cure. Sometimes just adding those things works, but we do have to pull some things. And I also, I, I, that's why it's just such a fitting conversation to sort of round out not only stress management and lifestyle, because it's like, if you spend this time now, maybe you don't have dairy for 90% of your life, but you know, the night that you go out for ice cream, you have a little bit, you know, it might affect you a little bit, but also not enough where you can still enjoy date night. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. I think my husband, my husband does really, really poorly with dairy. And so that's the one thing he will not do. He'll be like, well, I know alcohol and fried food don't do well with me, but you know what? I'm going to do it. But the dairy, he will not go near because he knows it's not worth it. <laughs> Right. It's like, I have, it, it's such a hard time with, with those things too, sometimes for date nights, you're like, mm -hmm. I get it. You want to like enjoy your food, mm -hmm. but like, yeah, like if there's, if there's chances of intimacy at the end of this night, do you really want to be <laughs> bloated or uncomfortable or, you know, whatever exactly. list. So um, yeah, it's just so important to, to gain awareness so that you don't, that's not a question mark of whether it happens it's just an understanding. So mm -hmm. um what, uh, what about like, what's, what are the instances where you're saying, Hey, we really have to look at carbohydrate intake, because I know when we have some instances of like PCOS and we have some different sort of insulin regulation going on there. And, uh, you know, like it, based off of what you've shared so far, it's more of a secondary, not a secondary, a later conversation that you're having with people is like, all right, maybe we should think about uh, limiting carb intake. Yeah. So definitely with more of my PCOS patients, that's where that would even be a conversation. And even then it's not, I don't necessarily say cut carbs out because that's so vague and they're everywhere. And also you do need carbs to some degree, like you need carbs to make hormones. And so, um, I don't, the way that I navigate it is I really push for getting a continuous glucose monitor because the issue with carbs is it, 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 affects your insulin and your blood sugar. 
And so the main thing with PCOS is you're not losing weight because your insulin and your blood sugar are not staying in um, a range that we want it to. How can we improve that? For the most part, people are like, well, it's carbs and sugar that are elevating them. Yes, but everyone reacts differently. I have some patients who did keto and their blood sugar actually spiked harder with doing a keto diet than when they did, um, when they added in like rice and beans into their diet. And so uh, that's why I, and they didn't know that until we got a glucose monitor. And so the continuous glucose monitor is just this little circle. Um, it's probably like two, three inches in diameter that you stick in your arm and you change it out every couple of weeks. So we do it probably for four to six weeks to really get an idea of what works and what doesn't for your body. And um, in that time, you measure your blood glucose pretty constantly. So as soon as you wake up, what's your glucose before you eat, after you eat, an hour after you eat, two hours after you eat. Um, before you work out versus after you work out, um, before you work out with a snack, after you work out with a snack, you can just, there's so many, you can measure it at any point of the day because it's just in your arm. So all you have to do is tap the little uh, app to it and it shows you what your blood sugar is in that moment. And so um, you can track it, you know, after a good night of sleep or a poor night of sleep, does it change your fasting glucose in the morning? Um, how is stress affecting it after a couple of days you've been really stressed is your glucose a little bit more unstable or if you work out in the morning versus in the evening does that help to stabilize your blood sugar the rest of the day if you did a morning workout does strength training make a difference versus cardio um, does adding cardio make a difference when you weren't having it before there's so many factors and I've seen some people where you know they ate six cookies and their blood sugar stayed stable. They ate a bowl of rice and beans and their blood sugar spiked. So it's so different for everyone. Like, is it sugar? Is it carbs? Is it, um, what is it for you? And so that's where I really like to get individualized because not everyone's body is the same. Not everyone's environment is the same. Not everyone's circumstances are the same. And so um, that's really what I like to push for is that continuous glucose monitor. For the most part, insurance covers it for most people. If not, I believe it's like 180 a month. So I still find that to be within a reasonable range for most people um, to, to obtain and really see, okay, how is this affecting me? And it also just gives you information about your body because cutting out carbs feels so restrictive. Like the idea of that just for myself, I'm just like, oh my God, that feels really overwhelming and scary to completely cut out carbs. And it's also like that, that um, psychology of like, if I tell you not to think about a pink elephant, you're going to think about a pink elephant. So it's like telling you to cut carbs. You're just going to see all the carbs you can't have versus feeling more empowered. And so knowing your body and what affects it if that does end up being carbs, then you know objectively that is what's going on. I like that. That's that's a, a better picture, I think, when we talk about like different types of restriction or removal or elimination where it's like, okay, before, you know, like it's one thing when we talk about like dairy or, you know, other certain types of foods that are going to be digested a certain way. But when you're talking about like a whole entire food group, a whole macronutrient, it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like you said, it gets a little scary. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So gluc continuous glucose monitor. Last question I have on that for you is uh, when you're going, so let's say someone does this for like, let's say, let's use a six week example. Mm -hmm. Do you have sort of like a setup or do you help have them create a schedule for themselves? Like when you do a reintroduction from an elimination diet. So you're listening to this episode, you eliminate when you do an elimination diet, you want to slowly reintroduce things one at a time to make sure you understand the sensitivities. 
are you having them create a, like a like an introduction schedule on that where like you said they're using those different examples of like what's three days of no, no snack before workout what's three days of snack before are you having them do that at all um no I don't really do a schedule I kind of just let them play with it I'm okay. like you know what I don't want it to be super rigid because I think at that point again it gets overwhelming and I think for a lot of people, when when things become too scheduled or too rigid, that's when they feel like this is too hard. I can't do it. And I never want anyone to feel like that it's a long term thing. This is the rest of your life. And I want to start slow. I want to make it feel manageable. And I don't want it to feel like this overwhelming thing of like, OK, well, it's only short term because it's it's not. It's a long term thing. You, I want you to understand your body. So I say play with it. Um, work out today, don't work out tomorrow. Or, and I'm not even saying like, do it that way. I'm just saying like, there are days when you're not going to work out. They just happen. So on those days, just be mindful and see what was my glucose. Um, the app itself has like a seven day thing and like a month thing. So like it tracks mm. everything for you. And so you can always just look back at it and be like, oh yeah, on Wednesday I didn't work out. And look, my blood sugar wasn't as stable after my meals as these days when I did work out. So it's kind of just like, you know, just being mindful, monitoring and seeing, not necessarily being on a super strict schedule of like, okay, this day I'm gonna work out at this time, this day I'm gonna work out at this time, this day, you know, like it's just, I feel like just kind of letting life happen as it happens because there are days you work out in the morning, there are some days where you're like, oops, I didn't have time, I'm gonna do it in the evening. And then there are days you're like, I don't feel like working out, I'm not going to. And so it just happens and I say, keep track of it, see what happens with your glucose when those days happen. I, and I think that from what I'm gathering here too on it, cause I'm not, I'm not super familiar with the continuous glucose monitor, but I think that, you know, from what I'm gathering over here is that like you, it's pretty, like you can see pretty clear results right away of, Hey, this is what happened in this situation because it's continuous and absolutely. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty immediate. Yeah. My, my husband had it for a little bit of time. Um, and it was fun to see, like when he would eat a certain meal, you would watch it just spike. He'd be like, I know this is going to spike it. And you would see it happen. <laughs> Whereas when he ate in a way that he knew wouldn't spike his sugar, we would watch it and it didn't spike it. And so it, it's, it's fun to be able to see that objective marker. And I think it also helps people just get more in tune with their body. Whereas like when you're just like, I'm cutting out carbs, I had to eat this cauliflower rice. And then they're like, I don't know. I don't feel different. You know, yeah. it's hard when you don't have that objective piece. I like to have as many objective markers as you can in your health, especially in the beginning, if it's new to you to do all these things, because it's, it's nice. You have that extra motivation to see what's actually happening. For sure. And, and, you know, from the shameless plug of myself of when I'm working with, you know, <laughs> working with you with, with anyone with macros is like, that's the point. It's not, it's not to like, I don't, I don't get off on, on saying, Hey, eat these macros, because I told you to do that. It's like, no, it's, it's, this is a learning system where, exactly. you know, unfortunately macros is not an immediate feedback mechanism, like, like a continuous glucose monitor. And you need to play with it. You need to do it for two weeks straight before you can say, Hey, Absolutely. we can do these things. Yeah. So, and that's kind of how elimination diets go too. Those are not as immediate, especially if you're cutting something out. I tell people three to four weeks at least, and you have to have eliminated it a hundred percent and then reintroduce it. So that, you know, there are things that take a little bit longer. And there are sometimes when you have these objective pieces that are more immediate. And so it's just a kind of a knowing that 
there are some things that you'll get to see progress with immediately. And there are some things you kind of have to wait and see. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, it's awesome. I, I appreciate so much of your time and information. If you don't mind, I have a, a couple of questions left. Is that all right? Yeah. yeah, sure. This is more on the personal side. So I hope you're cool with it. You have what you call a chickpea on the way. Are you <laughs> yeah. excited for that? I mean, this is yeah, putting yourself I, on the other side. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm. We're expecting in September and it's definitely, it's been a crazy process. This year has been pretty stressful. Um, just with a lot of like family issues that have been going on and, you know, other things that we've had. And also, you know, the whole pandemic and global where the whole world is at this point, it's, it's fun. Um, and so I'm not gonna lie, I haven't been as like relaxed and present through this pregnancy as I always envisioned I would be. So that was kind of a bummer, but I'm definitely excited. It's, it's a completely new journey. And I don't, I don't even know what to expect. Everyone's like, you're going to love it. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't even fathom what this is going to be like. It's just so new. You can only prepare so much and then it happens. And it's like, that's not at all what I thought it would be. So I'm, I'm excited to just see what happens and how different our lives are going to be. For sure. I'm excited for you. I have, uh, I've worked with a few different clients through their pregnancy or at least through the first couple of trimesters I had a client who just had their baby and it was like there's such a variety of experiences and like <laughs> like my sister-in-law has six like she's had six children and oh, wow. you know ended with twins and wow. she's very like she's comfortable in that that space she's comfortable being pregnant mm -hmm. and being mom mm -hmm. and then I have other you know family or acquaintances they're like they had their one kid and it was like this crazy experience so like you, it's kind of a mixed bag you know yeah exactly you never know what you're gonna get yes so and then the last question I have for you is people maybe didn't understand when I asked you about chickpeas but this is something that you call your audience or, it is yeah. yeah I was just curious where that came from honestly I could not even tell you. <laughs> I think like I just have nicknames for literally everyone. My husband gets a new nickname every single day. And so I just, that's, the, I, I like nicknames. <laughs> and so um, I think, I think that one just stuck. I want to say I probably used a couple of different terms maybe in the beginning and that one just stuck. Chickpeas are also my favorite legume. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I just felt like it, it was like a good, because my audience is all women, or at least that's who I speak to. And right. so, um, so I think, you know, the play on the word chick and chickpeas being like a cute little thing. I don't know. I it just, it just stuck somehow. <laughs> I like it. It works. I, I just like, yeah, it's funny. I love, I love that. I wasn't sure if there was like a, a story there, but I, I love hearing those things, right? It's just like, <laughs> I just, it just felt right. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did. And I mean, I love hummus. I love everything chickpeas. So <laughs> I can't, I can't hate on it right just made sense yeah. well dr bala again thank you so much for your time amazing information and it's like you said on pretty much every topic we've talked, you know like nutrition stress management lifestyle all these things like they, we could go into so many different mm -hmm. even episodes of that but i think and i appreciate just the very accessible takeaways that listeners can take from this episode so thank you for that yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for having me. Of course. And uh, if people want to learn more from you, uh, where, where's the best place for them to find you? 
Um, probably Instagram or TikTok. Those are kind of two of the biggest platforms that I use most often. Um, I do also have a blog that I have been um, trying to update a little bit more often than I do. Um, and then I will also be coming out with a couple of courses, hopefully by next month. Um, one is about period pain and heavy periods and kind of how to manage those. And then the other one is just kind of a women's sex ed course, basically everything we don't get taught that we kind of have to Google for ourselves. Like what is the period? What's happening? What's a normal period look like? Um, why do you get pap smears? What about discharge? Like all of these things that we have questions about that don't necessarily get answered and you don't really have time to ask your doctor when you're in a visit with. So just kind of want to put that together for probably any woman of any age, but probably more geared to the younger women who may have those questions about sex ed that they never really got to explore, or get answered. Well, ladies, you heard it. Go check it out because that is, again, just another rabbit hole that we could totally have, you know, dive down into, but it's just so, so important. So um, lots of amazing resources. Um, I love it. Courses, your great content. So uh, ladies, go check her out and go learn a little bit. So thank you, Dr. Bala. I appreciate yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for listening to the show. I truly appreciate it. If you have any training or nutrition questions you want answered, I personally invite you to message me at Joe Mike Paul on Instagram. And if you took something valuable away from today's episode, screenshot it, share it, and tag me so I can see. That's all for now. See you next time.